Hello and welcome to UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips. And I'm Victoria Hillman. And we have with us Lucy McRobert. Hello, Lucy. Hello. Hi, Lucy. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you guys? Yeah, not too bad. Not bad, not bad. We'll start the show with our latest sightings. And as our guest, Lucy, you get to go first. Have you had any interesting wildlife sightings recently? Oh, well, it's the time of year where you do get some quite cool stuff. So hilariously, we tried to see the walrus a few days ago. Um, the walrus that was hanging out on Tembi and failed miserably by going the one day that it wasn't there when it was pulled out the rest of the time. And now the thing has gone down the west coast of France. So that yeah. is going down as the biggest dip of the century on our part because everyone else saw it. Um, we saw the Franklin's gull the other day in Yorkshire, which I have to say, I'm not a gull gal, but that was a fabulous bird. And slightly closer to home, we have a really rubbish pond in our garden that I've got really emotionally attached to and I'm trying to make work. And I thought there was nothing in this pond. It was, it's just rubbish. It's just been a failure from start to finish. And the other day we had our common data dragonfly that hatched out from within and it was just so exciting. Its wings were so wonky and deformed, but I don't even care because I've actually given life to something and that makes me very happy. Oh, marvellous. Oh, yeah, good. yeah, so there we go. So me, dragonfly recorder, still hasn't got any dragonflies in his pond. <laughs> that's all I've got. But the twitcher has. That's not fair. Oh. Sorry. We'll talk about twitchers later. We'll come to that. Um, yes. Oh, do you know what? Um, say, Mister. Oh, I don't know if you're aware of this, Lucy, but we have a running joke about birds being boring on this podcast. But we mean it just to put it in context. In context, compared to invertebrates and stuff. But my reputation is slipping at somewhat, isn't it, Vic? Recently. Um, yeah. Uh, because e- even I once may have twitched a Franklin skull. I didn't see it though. Um, oh. I know gulls. I mean, terrible. Not as bad as warblers, but you know, it's still pretty. Um, but uh, I. It was sort of on the route to where I was going, to be fair. <laughs> so it wasn't oh, well, quite that counts, then. Yeah. So, but yeah, Just you know, they are quite nice looking. I've I've seen the um, Bonaparte skull that comes to that. Well, that's quite quite nice. It's basically a black-headed gull, isn't it? That's a bit different for those that... Is that the Franklin's gull? I'm not getting muddled up there, am I? No, no, Franklin's gull. It's like a little version of a laughing gull, and it's got a nice black head and a massive white eye ring. And they're actually, they're, they're very attractive gulls. It, it, it was a very pretty little thing. It's not as pretty, I would say, as a Bonaparte's gull or a Ross's gull. I mean, Ross's gulls are just sexy. But no, it, it was a nice gull as gulls go. And we were very lucky. We rocked up and saw it twice. There was one guy running around in circles for a good two hours. Bless him. It was giving people the run around. Oh, I did see some fuss on Twitter about it. So, Vic, your sightings? Um, so my sightings are actually from the last couple of weeks and, you know, where I haven't had any sightings for, well, the past six months, I'm making up for it now. So you're just going to have to bear with me. <laughs> so I've actually come off the back of running seven straight dragonfly damselfly workshops. So uh, dragonflies had four spot chasers finally after five days of trying. A couple of hairy dragonflies and a scarce chaser. Ooh. Damselflies this year, and I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, absolutely phenomenal numbers um on one of my local reserves like, i've never seen anything like it like 20 damselflies just hanging off the grass it, it, so you know forget the dragonfly roost it's like these damselflies are just hanging off each other there was no no space for them um but we had common blue azure blue variable blue blue tailed plus two of the variants as well so we had mm. the violet one and the red one as well which was really cool and the large red and also the red eyed um, so 
really good for the damselflies and actually saw a large red damselfly flying around my pond this afternoon as well. Every, everyone that's listened to the podcast, you'll know about my, my garden bee orchid from last year. Well, I'm happy to say I have another one um, mm. and it has now got a flower stalk. Not only that, I actually have a common spotted orchid in my front garden as well that I found the other day. And today I've actually rescued one from my neighbor's garden because they... Uh, because they rent, they have to cut their grass um, and they've got an inspection coming up. So they've got to cut it and trim it. But they said, if there's anything you want to remove, remove it before we do it. So I was out there today. I've taken out a knapweed and this common spotted orchid that has been rehomed onto my side of the front garden. So hopefully it'll be nice and safe. Um, and then really some some really great happy news. We've got lots of fox cubs in the garden as well got a couple of solar well have a solar powered fountain in the pond and it was fox cubs one solar powered fountain <laughs> zero um as they removed it from the pond um and several days later we found it and they'd actually chewed all the wires um so yeah solar powered fountain zero thankfully it was only a small one and it has now been replaced but pond has got hundreds and hundreds of tadpoles in it as well absolutely nuts the other pond had dragonfly larvae in. Sorry, Neil. <laughs> and I found about seven or eight of them. Well done. <laughs> when I was um, nice. sorting that out. And then normal red kites, because we get them quite frequently around this area now. And then a really, really kind of special sighting. And it's actually a bird. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> it, this, this, is, this is a bird sighting from me. Um, this this doesn't happen, Lucy. It really, it really doesn't. I'm never looking up in the sky, trust me. Um, but I was driving to Oxford last Thursday to take part in a study for something. So up earlier, I left the house. I probably left the house about eight o'clock, driving along the 303. Beautiful early morning light. And this huge bird flies across the road in front of me, more or less at eye level right in front of my car. Um, don't worry, I didn't hit it. And I had to do a double take because I couldn't believe my eyes I know when say, I saw yeah. what it was it was a great bustard um, and I, I genuinely couldn't believe my eyes I've never seen one in the wild and this thing just flew across the road in front of my car you know across Salisbury Plain absolutely amazing that is incredible really? I'm so gripped by that that was just and it, it I was I've kind of like stunned for the next half an hour I was like oh my god was that did I just see no but it was. And like, I basically had a conversation with myself on the way to Oxford about it. Um, that, so there oh, we have it. Breaking so, news. So Victoria Hillman was buzzing for half an hour after seeing a bird. <laughs> That's headline so, so news. more after, after all the needles, tests and yeah. everything else that ended up happening later on that day. But hey, it was still an amazing sighting. Kitty you buzzing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So how uh, about you, Neil? Oh, Yes. Um, well, after all that miserable weather uh, in the last week or so, spring has finally sprung. Um, <laughs> I've been uh, somewhat burning the candle at both ends before and after work. And oh, where to start? I've had all the May things you expect, the cardinal beetles, damselflies and stuff, uh, cuckoo calling at work. Um, no spotted flycatcher, annoyingly, which is, which is rather disappointing. But uh, last weekend, uh, well, when would that be? That'd be... Uh, last day of May it would have been I think or for, second after May I went all the way down to Surrey to a site for wood white butterflies and just so happened to be chatting on WhatsApp to uh, which I think we've now revealed in episode 50 there's a few of us chat on WhatsApp that do podcasts and Ellie and Ben from the Wildlife Garden podcast 
happened to be in Surrey, <laughs> down from Nottingham, that exact same day. And we met up at the site, had a right old laugh. Um, they heard their first nightingales, and Ellie nearly exploded in excitement. <laughs> it was quite funny. Um, but I nearly exploded in excitement when we, I think we can't have walked more than half a mile, and I think it took us from something like 12 or 1 in the afternoon till 3 or 4 in the afternoon to get back to our cars. Because <laughs> there was so much stuff to see, photograph. We had both species of cardinal beetle next to each other, which I've never seen before. And I didn't realise a black-headed cardinal beetle. These are the bright red beetles that are about ooh, 1 to 2 centimetres long. Um, look a bit like lily beetles. Um, is much, The black-headed one is much bigger than the red-headed one, which I'd never realised before. Um, and then we're looking around and Ellie goes, oh, look at this spider. Or was it Ben? And one of them spotted it. And there was a huge jumping spider, the biggest one I've ever seen in the UK. And it's turned out to be a woodland jumping spider, which I'd never even heard of. And we walked back and when Ellie had pulled up, she said, oh, I saw a really interesting spider on the, on the gate. Um, and it was a fence post spider, which is even bigger. <laughs> the biggest species of jumping spider we've got. So now two uh, jumping spiders. And uh, Ben and Ellie showed me a few wildflowers that I, I couldn't identify in a new book that I've now picked up because it was so good. And I then popped over to Fursley. Uh, they had to go off to Kent. I popped up to Fursley to see Colin the Cuckoo, who had 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 a few days off, one of which was when I was there. Um, <laughs> but I did get a red start and... I couldn't fill it in the frame on my camera at one point and the sun was just starting to set. So beautiful light. Uh, so I got my best of a red start photo, so I can't moan too much. Um, and saw a Dartford warbler. So that was always nice. Um, so that's twice, was that three times I've been to Fursley and not done any entomology there, Vic. So, and just birds. So I'm I might need to go. Neil. I am. It was a bit early for dragonflies to be fair. When I, well, I did see a couple of damsels there, but yes. Um, and admittedly, the second you, you time. You guys are but... talking about like really like cool niche stuff, like spiders and orchids and stuff, and I'm like, yeah, the walrus. I feel like I'm yeah. like chav now. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I didn't want to say. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, because I didn't sit there every day going, "Is it really a bit too far?" For it? it is a walrus, <laughs> you know. But I did kind of think if I went for it and it wasn't there, which. This is one reason I don't twitch. This is the secret. Is I almost always dip, which is why I just gave up doing it. Um, and yeah, because I did think I could go there and then go somewhere else in Wales because there's loads of stuff around. But um, mm -hmm. I, I didn't really have time when he was there, sadly. I was kind of hoping he'd, he'd come around sort of Dorset or somewhere and then I'd have an excuse to go to Dorset, which is always good. But he never did, did he? He went no, You never to, know. I'm not convinced this thing's not going to come back because he's no, not he's doing that well in France. No, he's got to go north again, hasn't he? Hopefully. You would think, you Isla would White, think, maybe? wouldn't you, that this thing would go north at some point, but he just keeps on heading south. Maybe if he could go north and turn up, is it Ventnor where they've got the Glanville Fertilities on Isle of Wight? I'll have a double excuse. And I could go see my mates that live down there. I'd you quite know. like it if he turned up on the Isles of Silly around the 12th of July. Oh, yes. <laughs> Don't you practically live there? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably mainly because it said it on your... Um, Twitter feeds that wasn't that clever uh, anyway yes moving swiftly on back in North Essex um, I've had the scarce chaser dragonflies were out but um, Victoria stole my thunder on those <laughs> but Sorry. swarms of banded demoiselles you walk down certain bits and 20 or 30 of them fly off um thousands i think certainly hundreds if not thousands of mayflies hatching the last week the big ones made even more exciting the other night when i got stuck and couldn't go home from work um because the a12 was shut and looked up 
and I'm pretty sure Hobby was flying around eating the mayflies, which is cool, and probably the dragon and damsels too. Um, I did see a Hobby at Fursley as well, which is quite nice. But also a lesser stag beetle as well um, that was um, fumbling around looking like a right Dorcas. <laughs> Joke for the entomologists there. And for those not entomologists, Dorcas is a genus name for lesser stag beetle. But moving swiftly on. Um, and I also popped around to my local orchid reserve and got some nice man orchids and bird nest orchids. So that was... Rather cool. cool. Oh, and um, Lesser Twayblade, I think, but they're not quite as impressive. They just whisper it in case there's any orchid fans, but um, they look like weeds. I think they have a real understated beauty about them. No, they look like dock, we- look like dock flowers. We're going to get hate mail from orchid fans now. Understated beauty about them, Neil. Yeah, people say that about me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm. Oh, you look like a dock flower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dock flowers are prettier than me, I can tell you that. Um, yes. But yes, let's move swiftly on to a little bit of podcast news. Um, first of all, we have to thank Jenny for buying us a coffee. So thank you very much for that, Jenny. And we've had a few reviews last month that I totally missed. So apologies for that, guys. Jay Plamo has left a really lovely uh, review, which says, Best podcast bar none. Well, can't wait much higher oh, praise wow. than that. Um, he goes on to say, you made my day when you announced your podcast. As an Essex naturalist and wildlife photographer, it's an absolute breath of fresh air to listen to you and hear the sightings, news and what the guests have to say, etc. Blooming brilliant. Take care, stay safe and keep on giving out the nature fixes, lol. Oh, All the really best, lovely. JP. Now, I'm trying to wonder if that's someone I know. I haven't paid them if people want <laughs> I can't afford to pay people to give me reviews. I want an education, uh, if I'm education wage. Hayden648 has written, love it. Always check in every podcast and I'm never disappointed. Great show and great topics. And Suffolk Naturalist, that's um, a Hulk, Hulk Honey, isn't it? I wonder if it is the same. I'm guessing it's Hulk Honey. It says, top podcast on UK wildlife. Everything for the UK naturalist. Just wish it was on a daily podcast. No pressure. I yeah, think he's trying no to kill us. Yeah, he's trying to kill yeah. us. <laughs> Struggling with two a month. Yeah. Well, that was fresh coming from me because I've not really been partaking recently. God, could you yeah. imagine doing one a day, Neil? Oh, especially if I'm editing it. You'd want oh. some heavy sponsorship for that. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Probably, probably have to get Amazon to sponsor us the amount they have to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> or Disney or something. Oh, dear. But that's it for the podcast news. Now, on to the main subject of our podcast which is well it's actually more than one subject but we have lucy on to discuss them all so um hello again lucy um hello again thanks for coming on now i think we'll dive straight in with the heavier topic um which is the topic which many people will are probably thinking hmm lucy mcrobert i know that name and that's because you may have read a rather excellent article on bird guides website it was bird guides wasn't it it was bird guides yeah, indeed, yeah. yeah. which was titled Call it out. So, Lucy, rather than me try and explain it, would you like to sort of summarise the the main topics of that article for us, please? Yeah, sure. So, a few weeks ago, there was a bit of a rise on social media, uh, lots of stories popping up, some from America, some from the UK, with women sharing their stories where they'd been made to feel unsafe 
whilst going out in nature. So they've been sexually harassed, uh, whether that was online afterwards sharing their experiences, or they'd actually had some quite harrowing things happen to them. There was a rape case in the US that was very well publicised uh, by a very brave girl speaking up against a, an influencer actually in the birding world. Uh, the court case is still ongoing for that, I think. And then also some women in the UK talking about different things that had happened to them. And I write for Bird Watch the magazine. I'm a columnist and have been for about oh, seven or eight years now. And I approached the editor and said, look, I think we need to, to talk about this. And I was really happy when Becky said, yeah, let's go for it. It's always a bit difficult, I think, when you write a piece that's quite challenging to the central audience. Bird Watch and Bird Guides, the audience is predominantly men, predominantly white men of a certain age, usually middle-aged or older, not exclusively, but that's the general target audience. And essentially, you're writing a piece that's challenging them and challenging their behaviour and challenging their conceptions. And you think, God, I'm just sticking my head above the parapet here and I'm about to get shot at by 50 different angles. And essentially, the piece talked about these women's experiences and talked about what men who are out enjoying nature could do to help women feel more safe, more comfortable and generally have a more enjoyable experience. It talked a bit about the privileges that men have, uh, that they'd never feel unsafe um, in a lot of natural areas, like a lot of men haven't been taught by women to carry their keys casually between their fingers, uh, like I was taught by my mum when I was very young. We're talking four or five years old and I lived in a nice village. Um, my mum taught me how to put my key there just in case. And it's this phrase that kept coming back, just in case something happens, just in case something happens. That idea that you can't quite switch off and relax and have that same holistic, really therapeutic experience as a man can. Because it's always nagging doubt at the back of your mind of what happens just in case something happens. And the piece was actually incredibly well received, given the kinds of things that we were talking about. Uh, we were talking about how men could make women feel more safe in hides, uh, how men could be more welcoming to women on things like online channels, on forums, on Twitter. Uh, the whole idea, everything through from like mansplaining through to making sure that you're not following women or what to do if you see someone acting suspiciously. And also challenging this kind of laddish culture. I've been on the receiving end of it four or five times, maybe, in my birding career I want to say it's a it's more of a lifestyle to be honest which is about 10 years now and I've had maybe five experiences that have really left me at the time quite quite worn down um they're just little things in themselves but when you start adding them up you think oh hang on a minute this this is a fundamental cultural problem that's wrong and it's not a cultural problem with birding it's a cultural problem with society the idea that men can kind of objectify women or can make laddish comments about women and somehow we're meant to just shrug it off and it's okay because women are so used to being objectified that we never complain about it. Um, and actually the article was incredibly well received. Far from sticking my head above the parapet and getting shot, I was really, really thrilled actually by the support that I got from the birding community who were overwhelmingly positive. I had mates phoning me and saying, let's talk about this. How can I be better? How can I make sure that I'm welcoming? And it gave me so much hope, actually, that this community was one that is genuinely good, that this is a very welcoming community. It just maybe needed a couple of minutes to sit and reflect on itself, make a few tweaks around the edges, but hopefully lead us somewhere where women really can take this up like they do in the US, actually. The US bird watching is predominantly female. 
and hopefully take that forward. I think it's been great. It's led to the RSPB publishing statements about how they're going to work harder to make women feel safer. Uh, it's led to men making more proactive steps in their own lives. It's led to the magazines taking up um, the article and talking about it. So generally, fingers crossed, it was all heading in the right direction. I was pleasantly surprised by the um, reaction to it all. There was, um, ironically, the only um, negative one I came across was when I posted it on my own, uh, the UK Wildlife Facebook page, um, and someone just posted, because last year, I think it was the same person that reacted badly to a Blackbirders Week thing I posted, and he put, oh, not more woke crap, was the exact <laughs> words he used, and it's funny, because he couldn't have um, demonstrated more perfectly why why that article needed to be written, really, which is exactly what I wrote to him, and he didn't respond, unsurprisingly. I mean, I hate that word woke. It really winds me up. It's this kind of throwaway comment for anyone who actually says it's not okay, actually, to put people down. Like we've lived in a society that says be nice to people and they'll be nice to you. It's not hard. Like most people teach their children this at primary school level. (laughs) And that is just the way most of us are brought up. And yet it doesn't seem to sink in with some people. And then when you are nice to people or you say, can we stop being horrible to each other and start being welcoming? People go, oh, you're so woke. And it's like, no, I'm not. I'm just a decent human being. What's funny about that is if you turn it on its head, what are they saying about themselves? No, absolutely. It's two very different ways of seeing the world. And it always depends on what you're offended by. That's what I say is I think sometimes the least offensive statements can be labelled as woke because someone's offended by them. And mm. in this respect, I was really expecting to, to to strike a nerve with a lot of people. And actually, I mean, I had people contacting me, birders, who frankly, I've had quite negative run-ins with the past. People who've made comments about me online, people who've written things on Facebook and stuff about me as a columnist, about me as a birder. And actually... These were the people who kind of supported me. And I, I thought, well, I, if nothing else, I feel like that's a bit of a step forward. I ended up feeling really positive. I and mean, I did get some stuff into my uh, direct messages, especially on Instagram, um, that I really wasn't expecting because Instagram is my safe space for wildlife. I expect to get a bit of rubbish on Twitter, but Instagram's always been very happy. And I got quite a lot of abuse in my direct messages there. And that was quite, it was wearing me down a lot, that stuff. But that was countered by literally hundreds of people saying very positive things and not just online, not just kind of saying, oh yeah, we agree with you, but actually texting me, taking the time to email me, ask if I was okay. And I just thought that was so wonderful. And it made me really proud of our birding community. It made me really proud to be part of this. And it made me feel very safe that I could actually say these things and be heard and be listened to without too many people pointing the finger and saying, you're woke, you're political, you've got an agenda, which is just the total opposite of just saying, can we just be nice to each other? Yeah, It's it's not hard, is it? it it's not hard just to be nice and respectful of, of each other. Like you said, it's being a decent human being. That That's actually as simple as it is. Yeah, that's I mean, exactly. You know, I, I, I've not had it from the from the birding point of view. I have had run-ins with people. You know, I was out photographing. I mean, this was many, many years ago, photographing seals up in Lincolnshire, and it was it was a cold, windy day. Had my hair up in a hat, so really wrapped up, so you couldn't really see anything other than my eyes, which were actually behind my camera anyway. And you know, there's all all manner of people up wrapped up. You couldn't tell who was male and female out there, you know, because everyone's so wrapped up. Mm-hmm. You just can't tell. And the sun came out and I got oh, I thought I'm getting a bit warm. So I, I took my hat off and I've got quite long hair or did at the time. And 
the look that I got from this guy when he realised that I was female, and he said, "Oh, you you don't belong here." What? I was just like, I was like, "Excuse me, what do you mean I don't belong here?" Well, you know, this is a man's domain, and I was like, "Well, a you know nothing about because I'm actually a scientist by training. I'm I'm a zoologist um, by training, and you know that comes first and foremost before the photography. Yes, I happen to be out there photographing the seals." But I was also, you know, watching for different behaviours and stuff. And I just thought, how, how dare you? Mm. Um, you know, and it's the only time I've actually had... The thing is, I did just shake it off because I actually grew up playing rugby, like 15s, proper full contact rugby, at a time where women didn't, or if they did, there were quite a few things said about you, basically, that if you played women's rugby, that you were basically this, that or the other. And I guess like I got used to shrugging off a lot of comments from the sports point of view. So I just shrugged off his comment and didn't really think any more of it. Uh, I mean, and we're talking a long, long time. We're talking probably a good 20 years ago plus that, you know, that happened. Um, what well, was a bit of karma that went on because he was, I saw him a little bit later on and actually he was on the beach with his 500 mil lens photographing this, this bull seal. Didn't see the other one come up behind him that mm-hmm. nearly actually went over the top of him it was quite funny but yeah. well done. <laughs> you know so you know I I've not had it from the birding point of view because I don't I don't really you know I'm not not big into my birds but I have to admit and I I mean I don't know if it's just the company I generally kind of keep now but being more into my like amphibians and reptiles it, it's very male dominated I guess well a lot of these things are, are male dominated but there's a lovely kind of movement on Twitter called herpetologists with her in capital letters to try and encourage more women in and but i found those and the insect community and um you know plant community that to be so much more welcoming weirdly I, mean, I don't i don't know if you've got any kind of thoughts or whether you've had any kind of similar experiences oh that's really interesting so if I think through to my online experiences, I mean, I, I'm a bad naturalist, I would say. I, I'm not into a specific group other than birds and maybe cetaceans. Birds is male dominated from my experience, but it is getting more female. It, it's definitely feeling more female. There's a lot more women online. Uh, there's a lot more women um, who are very young, actually, who are 13, 14, 15 years old cropping up on social media. And I really love actually how much support they get. It's good. But I, I probably would agree with you, actually, that those other taxa do seem to be slightly more evenly split gender wise and do seem to be very welcoming in the whole psychom area. I mean, I love a bit of psychom. I'm yeah. not a scientist. I'm actually a historian by training. I don't have a scientific bone in my body. I'm terrible. I, I think I've got double award GCSE science because my school was so bad. They didn't even offer like biology GCSE. And <laughs> it. So I have no biological or ecological training. It's purely kind of hobby based. But I, in the psychom world that I've seen, I, I've always really enjoyed the way that women communicate. I've always felt it was quite balanced. I think it's when you get down to that kind of hobby level of really proactively chasing birds. Maybe there's something about the competitive nature of listing with birds that tends to attract more men. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I recently did a survey as part of my work with Mark Constantine from Lush. And it was all to do with wildlife watchers. And there was this really interesting question we asked in there about when was the first time you got given a pair of optics? And overwhelmingly, the men that answered the questions said that they got given their first optics as a child, essentially, gifted by their parents or a relative. For women, it was that they bought them themselves as an adult or they were given them by a partner. 
So there was something in that. And I, I'd really love to explore that further, that there's, I think, two or three generations of people for whom women going outside and exploring the real nitty gritty of nature just hasn't been a thing, but it was very much encouraged for men. And it's just, mm. there's something there, there's something in that that I'd love to do more research on. I'm not saying that as categorical fact. It's just a, where I think some of this comes from um, is that the way that we've raised our children has always, certainly in the UK, geared men more to having those natural experiences as children. I'm not saying all girls grow up playing with Barbies or anything so rubbish as that. Uh, I just, I, there's something. I had a Barbie it. and I tore its head off. Oh, ouch. <laughs> This is why I, don't, I only mock her when she's safely over 100 miles away. <laughs> Absolutely. Brutal. I mean, I'm pretty sure I did have Barbies, actually. They're probably still kicking around somewhere. Um, I don't think I tore any heads off. I cut all the hair off Pocahontas ones. It was devastated <laughs> that it didn't grow back. Um, so, no, I, I think there is something in that, in the way that we bring up our kids in that kind of that hobby fashion i don't i know a lot of women um who are scientists do struggle at kind of that academic level and that there's been huge gender imbalances in the past uh within universities with funding with gender pay gaps with gender promotions certainly the university my husband works at are working very hard to address that now and i hope that's the same at a lot of institutions and it historically it's been a massive problem getting more women into the area of professional zoology and professional ecology. But now I do see a lot more young women taking that up. And that's, that's really interesting because when cause I actually did zoology with marine zoology and you could do zoology with ecology, but, you know, as the, the bulk was, everyone was doing zoology with an additional, you mm. know, um, area of interest. We, a lot of us actually all had lectures together. So a lot yeah. of our, our main, you know, the core lectures were all together for zoology. And I would have said that it was two thirds women to a third male. Really? And that this is, you know, I went to uni in 99. How many of those do you reckon went on to actually do that as a job? As far as I know, out, out of, for those of us that actually made it to our third year, because there was a huge dropout after the first year, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> those of us that made it to our third year out of our group, I think probably maybe only a handful have actually gone on. So myself and one of my friends, actually probably only like literally a couple of us mm. have actually gone on and made it into a career and, you know, pursued that as a career. And interestingly, females, not the males, but quite a few people went into teaching. Oh, yeah. Okay. So whether you kind of, yeah, but as, as a scientist, no, they've not really gone down the route of being scientists and using that in their career if that makes sense yeah but yeah i mean you know the course itself it was easily two-thirds female but then the number of people that actually then go on i mean it's not an easy career path to take because there's not that many paid jobs yeah. in it anyway you know even if you go down the route of masters and phd afterwards but yeah it's quite interesting that there you know it was predominantly females really I mean, at the end um, of the day, I, I'm very aware that I might be talking rubbish. Like I said, I don't have a science background. I'm purely basing this from my own observations of what I see on Twitter. And I, I do agree with you. I think there are a lot of amazing female um, communicators now. That might always have been the case. I, I follow so many inspiring women. And the other thing to really emphasise is I've got some amazing friends in birding, both male and female. But the women that I have been privileged to make friends with over the past 10 years, they are such role models to me. They are so good at what they do. 
And so it's very easy, I think, to say, oh, well, it, it makes it sound like there's no women in birding. There's not that that's simply not true. There are lots and they are very good. And th I think there's a whole thing about the way that we do the way that we bird. I know that I physically bird watch very differently to my husband. He checks off things in his head. He's very much looking at identification points, whereas I'm kind of take a more holistic quick sticks approach, looking at general impression, size and shape, things like that. And that means I, I also am more likely, I suppose, in many respects to get it wrong. But I think there's a whole area of being afraid to make mistakes, being afraid of being afraid to fail. There's a few identification groups on Facebook and you do find the beginners, they post something and there are some really mean people out there when people post pictures of sparrows. And these people are jumping on. How do you not know what a sparrow is? They just don't understand that everybody has to start somewhere. And I think that is just so important is understanding the kind of people you're talking to, knowing your audience, knowing that everyone is starting somewhere and understanding that if you're a, it's the way we're perceived so often, not necessarily what we mean. Understanding that if you're a guy and you're shouting at a woman, telling her that she's stupid, that she's got that wrong, that how can she not know that could turn her off for life because that's tarring every bloke out there with the same brush. And it's simply not true. And I think having men call out that behaviour, so that's why the article was called Call It Out, because so often it's not enough for women to say that behaviour is not OK. Mm. We, we need peer groups saying it. Your, your biggest influence is your peer group immediately around you. Research has shown that time and time again. You are most likely to listen to your friends. So it's not enough for women to keep saying, hi, can you please be nice to us? And can you please listen to us? And can you please give us a break? We need men saying it to other men when they see those behaviours happening. And that was, I think, the big breakthrough for the article was men understanding that they had a role to play. It wasn't just passively sitting on the side. Like women didn't get the vote because women achieving that on their own. We needed allyship to do that. We needed men to be on our side and understand what we were talking about and to ally with us and give us support. And every time you look at big step changes in history, having allies is so important. And I think that's where the article actually made some real breakthroughs um, in the way that we perceive the hobby is understanding that we don't just sitting and passively accepting something, whether it's sexism, sexual harassment, racism, any kind of prejudice. If you sit there and you accept it, you're complicit you might as well call it out or you might as well say, well, actually, I don't care. And I think they're the two interesting things there is that getting people to call it out and saying sitting on the sidelines is not enough anymore. It's not OK just to sit there and laugh along with your mates when they're in the pub making lewd comments about someone or targeting someone or kind of bigging someone up and using them as a poster girl. That's not OK. And we need men saying that's not OK. I completely agree with you. You know, that's what you need. You need the men to stand up and say, look, it's not okay, you know? And just, I, I guess, I mean, Neil and I have probably both experienced it from like the different viewpoints. It happens a lot in photography as well. Mm -hmm. A lot, an awful lot in photography. And it can get very nasty. I know people that have actually stopped photography. Like you, you were saying, like, you know, there's, there's people that, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. And it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's birding, photography or, or whatever. You need everyone just to, you know, if we all just stop and, and be nice to each other. And I, I've spoken to people that have, have literally sold all their camera equipment because they've been ripped apart by a couple of old guys on a Facebook group. Yeah. And you think, well, it's just 
I mean, I, I'm not that fussed about social media. I've actually stepped away from social media for now and, and I have no issues, you know. Of, yeah. I, I, I enjoy the interactions and I think like the Psycom, um, as you said, on Twitter is absolutely amazing. There's some incredible people on there and recently discovered like the, the Psy Art part yes. of Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Definitely need to check it out. Absolutely amazing. But, you know, I, I can also step back and, and I take things with a pinch of salt, but I think that's just the way that I've grown up and what I've grown up with. But, you know, for some people, it, it does hit them really hard. And and I think, you know, it, it is relying on those those people to call out, like they say, call out their mates or say, look, do you know what? This is not OK. Yeah. It's not OK for you to do this anymore. Well, you know, it was never OK for you to do it. But now we need to stop and now we need to make the changes. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's helping people to understand saying if you feel like this and you think like this, you're you're the one that's not welcome anymore. It's not that mm. new person who's in that learning process and is willing to make mistakes to become a better birder or photographer or a better all round naturalist. That that's the person who is very welcome. The person who's mm. not welcome anymore is the person who is the one doing the criticizing. And I think that's I think that's why the criticism exists in a way. I think people become very siloed and very safe within their hobbies and they like things the way they were and it, it never occurs to people I've heard this so many times about racism people going there's not a problem anyone anyone can come birding we're not stopping them and they kind of say it in this this way that's just so derogatory and it makes my skin crawl uh, no one's stopping you from going birding it's it's about listening and saying well actually what is stopping there's obviously something stopping mm. people from ethnic minorities accessing our green spaces more so what is it? Let's actually sit and listen. Let's talk it through. Let's find the funding. Let, let's work out actually what the barriers are. And rather than trying to impose a, a solution from the top down, let, let's sit there and say, well, actually, how do we change things a step at a time? Because change is good. It's people who are afraid of change and people who don't want that diversity of voices who are the ones who are critics. And I'm so pleased by the fact that those people are becoming more and more of a minority now. Um, in this amazing community because we can't save biodiversity if we don't have actual diversity yeah we need yeah. diversity of voices if we're going to save diversity of species because only in that way can we can we bring together all of our collective knowledge our collective communities our collective cultures to to move forward for the good of the natural world that's the way i see it yep. do, do you think social media has made it worse if that makes sense oh in in some respects yes um i think social media makes it harder to brush things off so a conversation that you'd have in the pub with your mates and no one would ever hear about is mm. played out to someone's face and i have a rule on social media that i would never say something on social media that i would not say to someone's face yeah um because you get the keyboard warriors don't you and they're they're basically they're safe sitting in their home on their computer typing yeah. away you know, and, and that's that's it to them. Well, they, they probably, you know, they, they don't think they're doing anything wrong, but actually those comments can be incredibly hurtful. And, you know, I've certainly, I've I've heard about, you know, more instances of like the keyboard warriors, if you like, and instances happening through social media, particularly in the last 18 months. It does seem, um, there seems to have been a surge recently in trolling. I, I got trolled not long ago by the shooting community and it was just like, for goodness sakes, it's a marketing thing. They, they took something completely the wrong way and one of them jumped on board, shared it with all their mates and they all jumped on board. And I didn't really understand the point of what they were getting at. And the way I got around it was I just followed them all, which shut them up pretty quickly, actually. Uh, it gives someone a passive aggressive <laughs> follow. It really throws them. And but you need to be quite 
kind of social media savvy to do that. I'm lucky I've been through social media training like a number of times through my work. So I know how social media works. I know the tricks to pull. I know how to protect myself. I think for some people who don't have that knowledge and who don't know how to protect themselves, it can be a very scary place. That said, I have also seen the opposite happen where there's been naturalists. I mean, have we ever seen so many young naturalists mm. raised up as there have been in the past five years? When I started in the natural history world, it was very few young people. In fact, that's why I founded a focus on nature because there were no young people. It seemed that way anyway. And actually, it turned out there were thousands of us, but we just didn't have a strong network. We didn't have a strong voice. And because of social media, we now have that. Greta Thunberg would not be the absolute icon that she is if it were not for social media. And she is making waves and bringing about change because of social media. So it is a double edged sword that we can have incredibly positive experiences on the one hand that give young people a voice, that give women a voice, that give ethnic minorities a voice in a far more egalitarian way. But on the other hand, those comments that would otherwise be resigned to a shady pub somewhere sitting at a bar with some soggy beer mats are said essentially to someone's face and not just once but they live so if you mm. suffer from anxiety or depression or anything like that it stays with you it stays with you and you can go back and you can keep reading it over and over again and it is so it's so destructive but so many people do it we can't escape that little worm in our ear and I think that's the danger of social media. We need to get so much better at protecting people. But at the same time, that's almost the wrong thing to say. It's not about protecting people. It's about not letting it happen in the first place. Yeah. When I was growing up, my, my parents were fantastic. We would go out. We, you know, I grew up outside with nature and, and doing all that stuff. So that's where my love of it came from. And, and you know, alongside my older brother as well, that's what we grew up doing. Um, but we didn't grow up with social media. Yeah. You know, I'm now 40. I didn't start using social media, really. I, I didn't even have social media when I did my undergrad, when I first went to university, which I am so thankful for, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> I would hate to do university now with social media, especially some of the stuff that you get up to or we did get up to. But, you know, we we didn't grow up with social media. It's something that, you know, certainly for me, I've developed alongside my business. So for me, it's a business thing. And if somebody leaves a, a comment like a nasty comment. And I have had it, you know, I, I got hit, well, just over a year ago by, well, someone well-known in the photography world, let's put it that way. Well, I, I, um, I was going to bring this up, Vic. Uh, if you don't mind, I, I just want to say something very quickly, is that the thing about that, I don't know, you're probably about to say this, weren't you? So, but it was interesting that I said the thing about them, didn't I? I didn't say any name. Mm. I didn't, it, you know, people in the photography world would know who I was talking about because of their reputation. And yet they targeted you, not yeah, me. Yeah, so, yeah, and they went after, so it, I think, it, I can't even, was it on the podcast page? Yeah, it was on I the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it was and, podcast page. And then he, w he went to you and then he tried to get me to confront you about something on the podcast page. It was, um, he yeah, started slagging you off, didn't he? He, he? he basically went, well, so the cat's out of the back. He went on my Facebook page, my Instagram as well, and left loads of really nasty comments. And then my business page as well, so that's, you know, that's mm. damaging to my business. Thankfully, I, I have like, amazing people that follow me and somebody alerted me to it. And actually, I read, he, he posted exactly the same comment on like 20 different images. So hadn't even changed what he was writing. I actually just went in, 
reported and then deleted every single one of them and then blocked him. Mm. And that's it. You know, that was it. You know, case over for me. And then he but, did come back and go after me again a couple of weeks later. And I just did, I did the same. And then I reported it to the police as harassment and reported it to the social media companies as well. And, you know, but for me, that that's the way that I deal with it. I just went on and just deleted them. Now, because it was done anonymously and he actually created anonymous accounts to do it through Instagram. And he actually created accounts as a woman to post these comments on my Instagram account. That is the length that he went to. But then speaking to fellow female scientists and photographers, he's actually, he, you know, this particular guy has this reputation for doing it to women. He will go after women. And, you know, like, like he hasn't gone after Neil, but he's gone after me. That is the, the level of, yeah. it's so contrived. Yeah. So much effort. I don't think I've ever disliked anyone in my actual real life to bother going to that much effort to make their no. life a misery. I just sit there and wonder what what goes on in people's heads. I mean, that's the my mum brought me up said if you can't say anything nice, don't say it at all. Yes. And yeah. Exactly that. Like so many people say that. I'm like, so why don't we all just do that? Why don't we just keep the nasty comments? When we all think things at the end of the day, you'd have to say them. Because no. ultimately, does it matter? Is it going to make you feel better? What do you want at the end of this? And I think there is a lot of control in these elements where men do go after women and do target them. They're trying to they're trying to shut you up. They're trying to stifle your voice and take it away from you. And it's a power game. And just saying no, this isn't. I'm not playing your games. I'm not. I'm just here because I love yeah. wildlife. That's the end of it. I'm here because I love photography. Yeah, and, exactly. And this is it by ignoring him. He actually just because he. He, he's basically he's fit. he wants a bite that's yeah. all it is he wants you well. to react he wants that reaction and because i won't react to it and you know there's there's a group of us that have actually now spoken about it you know to give advice to each other you just ignore him just delete it and ignore him and just keep blocking him and all his other accounts and and he'll just go away because he just he's not getting the rise that he wants oh i can think of examples in the past that unfortunately at the time i didn't realize that i remember walking to a hide God, where was that? I think it was Stobmarsh. I think it was in Kent. This is like a decade ago. I think I said my bridge camera. It shows how long ago it was. And I was with my now wife, but then girlfriend. And we walked into this hide and there was two men at one end, one with binoculars and scope and one with a big camera. And two women looking a bit nervous in the middle. And then us, we sat down the far end. And I said sort of like, uh, oh, you know, morning to the to ladies. And they sort of acknowledged me a bit and then uh, didn't really say much. And then about five minutes later, they left. And these two uh, old boys at the end have been oh, yakking away loudly, like they do sometimes, you know. Um, and I, I went up and I said, has the Kingfisher been in? He went, oh, yeah, it came up, but those women were too noisy and scared it off. Um, and I do wonder if something had happened beforehand before I got there now. Um, but, yeah, they were yakking loudly. And even now I go back and just think... I wonder who scared it off, really, <laughs> you know. And But it seems to be, you know, whether they would have blamed the people that left if they were male or female, I suppose I could speculate. But again, you just, it's hard not to wonder with those things sometimes, isn't it? It's um, Yeah, but on a more positive um, note, going back to what you mentioned earlier about women in environmental science and stuff, um, although it's not exactly a topic, but it gives me a bit of hope that for the last, and there's been a turnover of staff, the last five, six years at least um, down here, in Essex, the RSVB staff has been, this is the ranger staff, not education staff, which has always been female dominated. The ranger staff has been female. There's, I think there's one male ranger of like four, three or four females, which is quite, um, you know, it, it's a nice shift, if you know what I mean. It's not, 
he's not all male dominated anymore. If you know mm-hmm. what I mean, it's um, it's nice to see. Um, I mean, yeah. the, I really would like to emphasise. I don't think that mm. this is an inherent problem within no. the wildlife watching community. No, I think we are talking about a cultural problem that plays itself out on nature reserves. Exactly. Mm. It, it's and I, I really wanted to stress that in the article and to make it clear that I was not accusing our community, which I just feel so buoyed up by so often. Um, they they have been overwhelmingly welcoming to me. Like I said, I've had some negative experiences, but like you, Victoria, I I've got. You don't want to say the thick skin to shrug it off, but essentially, I, I've had a support network around me that's meant that I've not been, I've not taken any of it to heart, and I've kept going. And I'm also ridiculously mm. stubborn, so if someone tells me not to do something, I'll probably do the opposite. And so, if someone said to me like very early on, I was criticised for, and Birdwatch were criticised for my column. Because uh, I didn't know anything about birds. Why was this girl given a column in Birdwatch when she knows nothing about birds? We could have given it to this person or this person or this person. And you know what? They had a point. I didn't know anything about birds. But I could write and I could reflect. And mm. I didn't need to know the finer points of raptor ID. And that column is still going seven years later. And I just think there are other women in the world and other men, to be fair, who would have taken those comments to heart and said, I'm not good enough. And I had the opposite reaction. I was like, well, I'm sticking with this for the next 10 years if it kills me, yeah. um, just to kind of prove a point. But I always, I, I still remember that guy and I know exactly who it was. And I see him occasionally at Twitches and I'm like, hi, it's me again. I'm still here. And he's always the first one to to say something nasty he's always the first one to pick a fight i do not know why this guy does not like me but he really does not like me on the plus side he doesn't like a lot of people so it's okay but it's that element to it where i think it, it really is helpful if you're not always the one calling it out if if you if men can call out that behavior understanding that this is not necessarily about birding or wildlife photography this is a societal problem that plays into all of our different hobbies and proactively recognising that, making it a safe space is fundamentally good for everybody. It's good for you as a person. You'll feel better. People feel miserable when they make bad comments about people. I don't know why people do it. If I say something mean about someone, I feel guilty for about six hours afterwards. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's not the the nature community. I mean, I, I'm mostly active on, on Twitter when I'm on social media, but you know, the science and the nature community, be on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Um, and generally like in person as well, is such an amazing support network and people want to share their knowledge, which I think mm. is amazing because yeah. that's how everyone can improve and learn more. If we all share our knowledge and we're just, it is such a wonderful little community. And like I said, it is only, you know, it does, it does happen on nature reserves. And you know, obviously it does happen online, but the actual nature community itself is, is a general, is an amazing community to be part of. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I've learned so much from these people. I don't think it's about saying we need just to listen to women or anything like that. A lot of people kind of conflate feminism with womanism and it's not that. It's, it's just about saying like, give everybody a chance and think sometimes before you speak. And if you hear it, call it out. You don't have to call it out aggressively. You can call it out in the car on the way back and say, you know what you said to that woman? Made me feel a bit uncomfortable, actually. I didn't really like the way you said that or I didn't really like the way that that played out. There are loads of different ways that you can confront these issues if you see them. And being aware of your behaviour within hides, knowing who you're talking to, um, knowing how to act, 
they're all just little social cues that we can do perfectly easily in a restaurant or when we're at the park or anywhere like that so we can carry these these social cues through to birding as well mm. and i i'm really hopeful actually i i went into that like i said with my hand over my head thinking i am going to have the week from hell on social media and bird guides, bless them, they published it online on Friday night at 4.30. And then they all went home for the weekend. And I was like, oh no, Friday night's ruined. Because it went mental. It, it's mm. I was getting hundreds of comments um, through my phone. And I just was like, oh goodness me, this has gone absolutely mental. But it was such a powerful experience and such an empowering experience. And I mean, thank you to everyone who read it and everyone who was supportive of it. And it's a learning process for all of us. It's a learning process for me. It's a learning process for everybody going forward in how we can just generally all do better at being welcoming. Mm. I'll yeah. tell you, from the male perspective, oh, I like to think myself as not the sort of person that would... Um, I'm not really one to leer and hoot and stuff like that, the, the, the obvious stuff. But what I found really eye-opening was, I mean, as a man, I'm aware of issues and stuff like that because actually, you know, you have to be pretty blind not to be, or ignorant to not be aware of anything, anything of, you know, women being at least feeling more vulnerable. But the, the stuff about, like, if I'm walking down a path and I end up following a woman, that she might feel vulnerable just because i'm walking behind and she's not sure if i'm following up it's something i'd not really considered before it was it's quite eye-opening and yeah there were some good good tips in that i have to say this it was really i can just echo what everyone else said it was just really well written and not in your face and telling men off kind of things you know i mean it was just kind of like, this is what the facts are and yeah, <laughs> did you? I imagine you did a few rewrites on it to get it the wording just right on a few points. Did you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I only yeah. had twenty four hours because I knew that. Oh, crikey! To be part of this. Did that twenty four hours? <laughs> yeah, I knew to be part of this conversation. It was proper journalism. This. I mean, I'm yeah. not a journalist at all, and it was like, right, we need to get this out before the end of the week because the conversation mm. um, was very much there. And it was like we can't miss the boat on this and go in two weeks' time. We need to get this out the door. Yeah. And so it was, I, I had the help and support of some great women who came forward with stories and one of them shared her story. And I, it was one of the stories beneath the article and it was an anonymous one. And from what I can gather immediately, this person was contacted by a, a person she knew, accusing her of all sorts of stuff and <laughs> saying, how dare you write that about me? Now, it was completely anonymous. No one mm. would have known who was the victim or who was the perpetrator or anything and just the level of fragility involved in that person that he immediately had to start firing off and having a go at her and i was like whoa like she didn't even write that like she's not written the article she's just shared her lived experience with me and you're so vulnerable that you've immediately had to shout at her you've kind of just proved her point yeah. um, listen to what she's saying rather than shouting at her and I, I was very grateful to the women who were happy to share their experiences. And some of them hadn't had any, and that's okay. I like that. That That's brilliant. Like, frankly, good. We all shouldn't have had these experiences, but about 90% of women I spoke to had had at least one. Some had had multiple, and that is just too many. And, I mean, there was one guy on social media, bless him. Um, and it, it was all innocently done, but he just would not let this drop on Twitter. And he oh, kept going. He was like, oh, well... But the, the implication of your article is that you're saying that I'm threatening. I'm not threatening. And I was like, well, I don't know that. 
because this is the mindset that women now have actually when we walk through places he was like yeah but that's stupid because i'm not threatening and that was the crux of his argument over and over again and it got to the point where we were going the man doth protest too much like mm. listen listen to what all these people are saying to you and he just could not understand how he could ever be perceived as threatening and oh. I, I don't, we, we all feel like that. The vast majority of people feel like that. We, we sit there and say, oh, I, it, it's, I'm not the problem. And you go, no, but you recognise that you might be part of a wider societal problem. And I went through this with Black Birders Week last year. Yeah. Where we were all, all white birders were forced to confront something in ourselves and the way that we conducted birding and say, well, actually, could we do better? And that was a real turning point for me in my understanding of the lack of diversity and conservation. And kudos to the amazing people in America and then in the UK who took Black Birders Week forward. It was so powerful. And it was a time of serious reflection, I think, for a lot of white people to sit down, shut up, step back from centre stage and just listen and actually that was the that was the catalyst in my head that changed the way that I thought about these things and I thought about these issues yeah. and I think that actually opened the door to a lot of very positive conversations that all interlink um in the way that we talk about um race gender uh sexism disability all of these different things that are barriers to people having experiences and we just all need to listen more I mean I'd, you probably saw this as well. Um, whenever something like a black birders group or a women only bird group comes up, you always get that at least one anti woke person going, "That's racist. That's sexist. Why can't mm -hmm. I come?" Go, where's the if I where's the white male birders group? It's like, well, go and find a birders group. You're pretty much going to have that already, if not already. You know, what I mean, it's. Oh, not that absolutely. They, they, yeah, they are dominated don't anyway. Realize. No, yeah. people don't realise and. Sometimes it's a case of naivety and sometimes it's a case of stubbornness and sometimes it's symptomatic of something much more malicious underlying that. I think too often it's malicious. And absolutely, you're right. Every single time something props up to kind of give a group of people a safe space to express themselves and to share ideas and thoughts, there's always someone hammering on the door saying, you're not letting me in and therefore you're discriminating. You're going, no, you have fundamentally missed the point. There's always a Daily Mail columnist trying to make a blooming race right out of it absolutely it's just oh and then and then that drags people you know perfectly sensible people read that and get coated around the stick sometimes i think oh well mind you a perfectly sensible person shouldn't be reading the daily mail but there we go <laughs> <laughs> let's not go into that that is an absolutely brilliant talk lucy but let's get on something a little bit more well <laughs> more joyous it's less controversial twitching oh it's more controversial <laughs> oh yeah, it's probably more controversial than that can you explain, for those that don't know, what twitching is? Because it's not exactly the same as bird watching, like a bad Daily Mail journalist might describe it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So twitching, um, I've got a friend um, called Dick Philby who owns a company called Rare Bird Alert. And Rare Bird Alert is a bird news service, a bit like bird guides. And he describes twitching as going to see something specifically that you would not have otherwise gone to in that area so that can be anything local or it can be anything a long way away for example if 
I have a grasshopper warbler singing at the top of my street, which I do sometimes, and I walk up the road to go and see if I can see it. That is Twitch. I have I wasn't going to walk up the road anywhere. I went specifically to see that grasshopper warbler, so it was a Twitch. At the same time, if I decide that I'm going to drive to Somerset tomorrow and see a river warbler, that is also a Twitch, because I would not have otherwise gone to Somerset to see that bird. It doesn't have to be birds. It can be any kind of nature, any kind of taxa, people twitch dragonflies, butterflies, uh, bumblebees, plants. Uh, plant twitches do exist. People do kind of chase orchids, um, which is great fun. And they're an eccentric bunch, but my goodness, they're fabulous. And so it's not just to do with birding. It's very much across all of nature. It's usually within a defined area. So those people will keep a list. So there's a UK list, uh, there's a British list, um, there might be a patch list, which is just for you. You might have a garden list. And I've seen people running down the streets to get into the houses to see something in their garden. So they've actually twitched their own garden. <laughs> uh, but all of this crazy stuff happens. So that's the thing is twitching does not have to be a massive long haul drive flight boats from Scilly to Shetland to be valid as a twitch. A twitch is anything that basically makes you get off your bum and run to the door. I, mean, uh, I remember having a jokey debate when I was at work and something turned up. And in my lunch break, I walked my normal route, but I made sure I went past the point that had a, a spoonbill or something which was down down on the creek. It's kind of like, does this count as a twitch or not? Because I probably would have walked this way, but I definitely made sure I did. <laughs> it started going, I was thinking, I'm just going to tick it that I've seen it. <laughs> not worry about if it's a twitch or not. But That's the thing. That's the difference. Yeah. It's would you have gone there anyway? And if the answer mm -hmm. is no then it's uh you you were a twitch if yeah. the answer was yes i was genuinely going in that direction for x reason so when i had this i twitched a starling murmuration in melton mowbray yeah. um in the last lockdown and i i was not shopping in melton at that point i wasn't doing our weekly shop in the center of melton and i certainly wasn't doing it at six o'clock in the evening but i quickly changed our weekly shop in the middle of lockdown <laughs> to go to the Lidl instead of the Tesco's, which was in the centre of Melton, um, so that I could go and casually twitch the Starling murmuration with a legitimate reason. So yes, that's a twitch, because I wouldn't have gone there otherwise. I went specifically to see that wildlife spectacle. Yeah, now, we can't bring up twitching without bringing up in theory, Lucy should be mortal enemies with me and Victoria as a... Well, me and Victoria are naturalists as well as um, photographers, so maybe not mortal yeah. enemies. If we were just pure photographers, we'd be mortal enemies, wouldn't we, Lucy? Um, according to some people, anyway. According um, to some people, yes. I mean, I wrote a column on photographers, bird photographers. Not all photographers, just mm. some bird photographers, a segment within bird photographers yep. a few years ago. And it was basically about field craft at twitches like why when you've got a 500 mil lens do you need to be standing 10 feet in front of everybody else and the kind of behaviors they'll go to to get the perfect shot and it was a bit tongue-in-cheek actually and it was i mean it must have been like six seven years ago i got hate mail because of that article i had one person write in and say i have never been so offended by anything i have ever read i was like wow it's ridiculous read the sun the, the funny thing is i can think of a certain famous twitcher that every possible moment he slags off photographers and which is funny because he has a camera in his hand and then you start to think well how many of these people that are acting like idiots with cameras were twitchers already but they've now bought a camera so now they can't oh <laughs> they can slag them off the photographers 
but you know, but they can't say they're being bad twitchers. It's kind of well, actually, if you look at it, it's quite a blur. And some of my mates are twitchers and photographers, so uh, are they being half slagged off? Or? Well, no. See, <laughs> no the, kind of... the world has changed now, unfortunately. I say unfortunately because I'm a rubbish photographer, and I really mean this. I've got a bridge mm. camera that hasn't been turned on for mm. six months because I just can't use it. I've no idea what I'm doing. I can barely find the on button, let alone anything else. <laughs> and it's just so confusing. I couldn't. It took me like. 20 minutes to download a photo once and i just wrote it off at that point i was like, i just don't care enough and i don't have enough time i've got a kid around my neck every single time i get it out she's like oh play toy i'm like no it costs 500 quid honestly i might as well have just burnt the 500 quid or spent it on gin and the problem is that we as birders now if you see a rare bird and you're the first person to see it you are obligated to submit a rarities form, which goes to various unions, councils, uh, chairs, boards, etc. And they decide if that sighting was uh, what you say it was. So the, there's a river warbler turned up today in Somerset, Ham Wall, and the person who found that will, in theory, have to submit a rarities form to his local county records and to the national records. And those councils will decide if that sighting is legitimate. He can do that by describing what he saw and the time of year. There's loads of questions about what optics were you using? How much experience do you have of the species, etc. And 10, 15 years ago, it was fine just to have a written description. Now, in reality, you need at least a photograph to prove your point. If not a photo, you preferably need sound recording and a video as well before the rarities committee will even look at you and take it seriously. Some of these warblers need a poo sample. Exactly, well, you, you you know? going around on your hands and knees with a blooming test tube looking for poos and scraping it up so we can send it off to Aberdeen <laughs> to get it DNA'd. Oh, I don't know why I'm laughing. I've, I've fished tiny creatures out of ponds, but it still makes me laugh. Oh, no, it, it's absolutely awful. I mean, there's the Paddifield Pippet, which we all saw in Cornwall. And someone got a poo sample of that, sent it off to um, a chap who does all of the DNA analysis. And this guy's an absolute legend in birding. Um, he does all the DNA analysis. He decreed that it was indeed a Paddyfield Pippet. And this was like first for the UK, mega exciting. But no one's got the foggiest how it got here. So it might have been accepted as a Paddyfield Pippet, but it's still in this kind of pending pile about whether it's going to get accepted or not, because no one has a clue how this thing might have got here. It's just not credible. And someone says, oh, it might have come out of a collection. This is a really dull bird. What yeah. what sadist would keep one of these as a pet? Someone messing with twitchers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you do. Because some of them come on ships, It's the photographers, it's the oh, photographers, photographers messing yeah. with the twitchers. Just trying to spite the switches. Honestly, it does make you wonder. So that's the thing. Is like We all sat there and we all used to be terribly rude about photographers. And now every Tom, Dick and Harry is carrying a camera around over their yeah. shoulder because they need it. Because if not, and they yeah. see something, they're going to get discredited. They're going to get disproven. It's going to get thrown out. And that's like the ultimate... Oh, that, that, that's the end. That's the end of everything. Hang up your binoculars, pack up your telescope, you're done. Never show your face on Twitter again. And it's a really tough one, actually, because people who I know were so rude about photographers, even as little as five years ago, suddenly they're all carrying around these bits of kit and they can't take the telescopes anymore because, yeah. frankly, they're too heavy. They can't carry a telescope, a 500mm camera and a pair of binoculars. It's just not happening. So the telescopes are gone now. I have noticed I've got into certain places and got looks because I'm the only one with a camera, but 
I get more magnification because I've got a crop sensor camera and I can take a photo and then zoom in as well. It makes it, I find it a lot easier, especially with insects and, and yeah. you know, dragonfly features and stuff. It's it's just a lot easier than carrying around binoculars as well. I've got a lovely pair of binoculars. Frankly, I didn't spend sort of like a Swarovski money on them, but um, they rarely get used. It's really sad. But yeah, if people say, oh, they haven't got binoculars, they're not proper birders. And I was thinking, you can't say that anymore, I'm afraid. All but this technology I've... is getting conflated yeah. as well. You can get binoculars that take photos. You get cameras oh, yeah. that double as binoculars. It's all, it's all one now. It's all big one mishmash. We're all blended. That whole argument of, you know, photographers moan about Twitchers shaking bushes and just to get their tick and then Twitchers moan if photographers are getting too quick to get their photo. It all comes down to is that it's not Twitchers or photographers that are the problem. It's the moron idiots that are being these two poorly defined groups anyway. I just call them idiots. It's just easier. And they're the um, ones probably on Twitter who are also being mean to women and ethnic minorities and everybody oh, yeah, else. Almost, certainly. It's probably just a crossover. If you could Actually, draw a Venn diagram, there's probably a small yeah. circle in the middle where all these people fit and they just need ostracising. I can actually think of a couple of examples that would tick both those boxes off the top of my head right now. There you go. So, uh, yeah, there we go. Both in the photographer and Twitching world, actually, yeah. <laughs> although people could go and listen to kit's golden grenades podcast for the full story i'm gonna to have to ask you what happened with the a certain rare seabird off the isles of silly involving oh. your child as well. oh xeno's petrol so last year we were on a boat um mv sapphire famous amongst birders for being a pelagic going boat and i mean the, the silly pelagics are a legendary amongst birders so many people go down in august to see um great shearwaters cory shearwaters wilson's petrels and also rare stuff as well like fierce petrels knocking up as well and we were on this trip back in um with actually the fishermen it wasn't even a proper pelagic it was a fishing trip and um sheltering kind of trying to keep warm and i'm a terrible parent and had my one and a half year old child with me and my husband was down the end of the boat nattering i was holding her and Bob Flood, who is an absolute legend amongst seabirders, this guy is like demigod status, he's that good, suddenly screamed, um, Faye's petrol. And that's enough to provoke heart attacks amongst most people. But as people got on it, they suddenly realised, like the, for the 50 seconds we were watching it, Bob was going, oh my God, this is something so much better. This is a Xeno's petrol. And this is mega mega rare like first for the uk pretty much i think one might have been seen off island but everyone's going absolutely berserk but i was holding the child at the time so trying to watch the bird trying to hold the baby there's people running everywhere knocking me out of the way and the boat lurched as i took a step back up to balance myself on one of the steps and bless her oh she bumped her head on the door and I had that horrible heart-stopping moment where I thought oh, no. I thought I'd cracked her head on the corner of the door and she held it together for about five seconds and the bottom lip started to go. So everyone else is like watching this bird and I've like got this baby who's about to just start bawling. And I honestly, I was ready to just pack up and throw my bins in the sea. I was like, I can't believe I've just done this. We're going to have to go to the hospital. I've just done this over a bird. Oh my goodness, I'm the worst mother ever. What are you doing? Sort your life out. Oh, it was horrible. I mean, it turned out she literally just bumped her head. She's, she she bumped her head. Yeah, she literally bumped her head worse on the coffee table earlier that day. But it's that horrible moment you experience oh, as a parent really... where you think you've broken them. And she luckily was fine. But at that moment, it was I. That Zeno's petrol is really tarred with a negative brush for me. Everyone else is like so stoked about it, and I'm like, meh, 
not that exciting and it's just because i have this horrible memory <laughs> oh no yes uh, I've... children have surprisingly hard heads oh gosh <laughs> thankfully yeah. I, she, she genuinely i think she freaked out at my reaction i think she was fine yeah, probably was it was me going oh my goodness what do i do right in the middle of the sea and i'm gonna have to go to any she gonna need a helicopter why does yeah, no one look, care of one year old dear, if you look <laughs> gasped and looked shocked they're gonna panic because they yeah. think something's wrong oh i felt so bad Children. i never felt so guilty in my whole birding career a lot of parents have done a lot worse to their children out birding mm. to be fair that was minor small fry but i won't tell the tales on any other birding parents <laughs> but we've all heard i i know what they are because we all exchange horrible stories and oof, oh the, the worst I've, is yet to come it's it's i've, I've had the momentarily distracted and looked up and like where's my child yeah <laughs> but thankfully they're just slightly out of my eyes eye light you know they just take that three steps and you can't see them and you get that three seconds of oh my god i've looked no no it's just they're just there yeah it's they're okay. literally behind they're, you they're, 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 yeah. they're actually looking at something they, they found something even more interesting which is usually quite and that's when they've all got really good eyesight so they sit oh, there they're and they're brilliant. like bird and you're like yeah it's a bird and they're like bird and you're like yeah it's a bird and then actually it's like oh yellow hammer well done <laughs> well i've 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 started training up both my children and the hope that one of them keeps the interest so because <laughs> I work in my education and it's a shame I don't photograph mac- I don't I've done it occasionally I don't photograph macros from stuff that's been caught because <laughs> I'd have some really good photos yeah, yeah. you set, send 30 kids out with with uh, a few nets in a meadow you find far more creatures than you'd find in a whole day of searching with a camera yourself but, oh um, absolutely but I have to have you back on then I've got to talk about a focus on nature and 30 days wild which it's fair to say had a key role in both of very quickly lucy where can people find you on online and and stuff like that so i am on twitter and i'm on instagram um my instagram handle is at wildly lucy and my twitter handle is at lucy mcrobert one i'm very irritated by the one but someone who already got lucy mcrobert and i don't think they even use it which makes me cross um so yeah that's me and i've also i've got a website but it's not very it's not updated very often so yeah twitter and instagram are my main ones Oh, brilliant. And we didn't actually get around to discussing 30 Days and 365 Days Wild, but would you like to quickly mention the book? Yep, I have a book, 365 Days Wild, and it's 365 random acts of wildness for every day of the year uh, to get you outside exploring nature, everything from a few seconds through to overhauling your garden over a full season, if you like. Loads of things to do. It's mostly family friendly with a few gin and vodka recipes thrown in for stressed out parents. Brilliant. Okay, well, thanks so much for coming on, Lucy. Uh, we'll have to have you on again because we've got lots more to discuss. Definitely. But it's been amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you, both of you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you cheers. very much. Cheers. Right. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, or one word. Or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UKWildlifePodcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UKWildlifePod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates. 